God, as we come to uh, this sacred hour where the people of God are ready to hear your word, Father, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, that the, the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted, Father. God, I pray that as we, as we think about our own sin and our own weakness, God, that we would drive our, our hearts and our minds to the cross, that we would understand that we are forgiven through the shed blood of the Son, God. And God, even though we may lack physical gifts and abilities, we know, God, that you want to use us for your glory and for your purposes. So God, as we look into this text, I pray that you would do a work, God, that you would do a work in the people of God here, that you would remove them from one degree of glory to the next. Father, unless the Holy Spirit preaches through me, I I, I am just a man saying words. So God, I pray that you would take this offering, take this word of God and plant it upon the hearts of your people. Turn them, enrich them, bring them to repentance. But oh God, I pray that you bring them to joy, joy in the gospel of the Lord Christ. So Father, we ask you to move now for the glory of your name. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Those of you who are just kind of entering in our our narrative, we've been looking at the story of Moses and the people of God in bondage in in Egypt. And what we've seen with Moses, we we see his his name. He was one who was drawn out of the water. Moses, he was sent to deliver his own people. We saw that he tried to deliver his own people in his own strength, and that failed terribly. And he ran uh, from Egypt and and dwelled in the land of of Midian with his wife and father-in-law. He was there for 40 years, tending Jethro's flock, and then the Lord God arrested him. He had a divine meeting at the burning bush, and the Lord gave him his name, I am who I am. And Moses started to tell them, I don't want to. God said, I want you to go and deliver my people from Egypt. And Moses kept on saying, I don't want to. And he said, I don't want to in a number of different ways. First, he says, who am I? And the Lord said, I will be with you. And then Moses said to God, well, who are you? And God said, I am who I am. And then today, we're going to look at three of his other complaints. He's, he's worried. I'm worried about them. What will they think of me? But God, what about my weakness? And lastly, I just won't do it. I pray that as we look through Moses, I pray that you would find yourself in a different one of his own excuses, that you'd remind yourself of what God has done for you in Christ. There's three things I want to point out to you this morning's text. The first is the signs of the Lord, the signs of the Lord. Uh, We just read that, verses 1 through 9. We see how God gave specific signs to Moses to to help the, the elders believe in his words. But before we get there, I want you to go back up and look at verse 16 of chapter 3. This is after God gives him his name and reminds him of the covenant that he has made with them, that I am your God, uh, who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he says this in verse 16 to Moses, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the, the God of Abraham of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, and he recounts what the Lord had said to them. Now, one of Moses' fear is that Moses was going to be alone, that Moses was going to go to Egypt and he was going to be alone. But right there in the text, God says to Moses, go to the elders, and you and the elders of Israel are going to go before Pharaoh. Moses was never meant to be alone. 
In verse 18, God says very clearly in chapter 3, he says, And they, the elders of Israel, will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when they go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house and for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters and you shall plunder the Egyptians. So God has already laid this out uh, to, to Moses. He says, I will be with you. And then he says, oh, by the way, the elders are going to be with you. The elders of Israel. Now, Moses is the leader. Now, we often think about Moses standing alone before Pharaoh, but the text seems to be that Moses is is one of of many. He is never leading alone. And we see how the elders are going to do what? They're going to hear the word of God, and they're going to believe the word of God. That's the way all of us should be. We should hear the word of God, and we should delight in it. We should desire to, to follow it. But then you have Pharaoh, who's going to hear the same word, who's going to see the same signs, and what? Reject it. His heart is going to become hard. Now I know that right now, that while I'm preaching this word, there are some of you here who are going to harden your heart to the commands of God. God wants you to love him. God wants you to serve him. But there's things in your life that have hardened your heart against God. And I pray this morning that that rough ground, whatever is keeping you to come to God, would be broken up and you'd be like the elders of Israel. When you hear, you would believe If you're here and you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, I wonder what is your excuse for not coming to Christ? Do you you really have a disagreement with the message of Christianity, or is it more the messengers who bring the message? You know, some of the best evidence for Christ is Christians. Christians loving one another, a unified body. You hear me say it all the time. One of the greatest apologetics for the gospel is a unified church. People who look different age-wise and ethnically, but we are one in Christ. That is a powerful picture of the gospel. And at the same time, some of the worst evidence for Christianity are Christians. But I would challenge you, if you are not a Christian, if you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, what about the message? What is the message of Christianity? What do you have to do with the message of of Christ? Well, we see here, Moses is anxious. He's worried. He's worried how he's going to be received by the people of God. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Now, we know that Moses had 40 years to think about this, right? 40 years to think about how he was treated the first time, and how he tried to deliver the, the, uh, the Hebrews from the Egyptians. And what did they say? Who are you that you should be our deliverer? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And what did Moses do? He ran. So for 40 years, he's thinking about these failures, these past mistakes, and what about them? He's not going to do what God has called him to do because he's worried about what people will think. I wonder if that's you. God has called you to do something, but you are just afraid of what people are going to think. You're just worried about them. 
you know, as a pastor, um, one of the things that sometimes comes to you, doesn't come to me nearly as often anymore, uh, someone will say, Pastor, some people are saying. Well, who are these some people, I would say? Well, they don't want you to know who they are. Well, then I don't want to hear what they have to say. <laughs> but here's the thing. What, when you hear the some people, what rises in your heart is the fear of them. Am I going to, to try to live my life for them, or am I going to live my life for the Lord? There's a challenge. There's a challenge for, for all of us. You know, so often that we are, we are paralyzed by our past mistakes, our past times when we tried to live for the Lord and failed and fallen on our face, and we think we can't do it again. And what does the Lord do? In his kindness, he goes to Moses and he says in verse 2, the Lord said, what is in your hand? And he points out three things, the, the staff, the, his, uh, the hand, his own hand, and then water. And what God is showing here, I think he's showing several things. I think first, theologically, he's trying to show Moses and all the people of Israel that he is far better and far more powerful than any of the weak, small gods of Egypt. As Jack read, there is one who made the heavens, the Lord God himself. So you see this, this snake in, in Egypt. The snake was, was deified. Uh, the pharaohs wore it on their head. The serpent was the god of, of the Nile. And what do you see as, as, this, as the story unfolds? This snake, this serpent is going to swallow up the snakes of Egypt. We see this idea of, of leprosy, which is a little less It's a little more vague, ambiguous what this means. We probably think it has to do an attack against the the health and the the quest for immortality among the Egyptian people who wanted to live forever. And God has control over your own health, as we see as the story unfolds. And we see God in control of the Nile. Take the water of the Nile, that where you have deified, that, that is the place of fertility and life. Well, that is under God's control as well. When you see this whole entire story, what you have to come away with is that God is sovereign, that God is in complete control. But, but notice that he's not only showing the Israelites and the Egyptians that he is a more powerful God, he's also using very basic and ordinary things. A staff. Every shepherd had a staff. Most everybody had hands, right? Can't say everybody because sometimes that doesn't work out, right? Um, and then water, the water of the Nile. He takes the water and turns it to blood. Very ordinary things. So remember what Moses is thinking here, right? I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not, who am I, Lord, that you should use me? And God's saying, can I use you? An emphatic yes. I can use a staff. I can use a hand. I can use water. Friends, there are going to be some of you today that God is is birthing something in you to serve him. And you're saying, who am I? And God's saying, listen, I can use Moses, I can use a staff, I can use water. I can use you. The second thing we see here in the text is the speech of the Lord. The speech of the Lord. Jump down to verse 10. But Moses, after seeing these signs and telling God, saying they're going to believe you, they're going to listen to your voice, in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and a tongue. This is Moses' fourth complaint. I'm weak. And before he was saying, I'm, I'm worried about what people are going to think. But after God addressed that, well, I'm going to do these things so they're going to believe you. He says, well, I don't have the ability. I'm weak. 
Now, if you, you could read commentaries probably for at least a full day on what this really means. What is Moses doing here? Uh, some people think this is kind of exaggerated humility or he's kind of feigned politeness. You know, when, when I, like, when, for example, this is a hypothetical situation. Like if someone came up to me and said, uh, Pastor Dave, you are the best looking redhead I've ever seen in my life. I would say something like, I'm sure that's not really true. Of course, I'm not the best looking. I'm, then you kind of, oh, yes, I am. You know, like there's this, there's this feigned humility. Some people think there's this exaggerated humility. Some people think it's just self-doubt. That Moses maybe actually had gifts and was able to speak, but he, the way he perceived himself was he was slow of speech and that he did not have the ability to stand up and speak in front of, front of people. You know, some of the best preachers of the last 20 seconds, maybe, maybe the best preacher, the most impactful preacher, John Piper, he, 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 he would fail uh, uh, a class because he would be afraid to, to give a public speech. And God has used him mightily, right? So it could be the way he viewed himself, that maybe he didn't have these, these natural gifts. It could just be an excuse. You know, he, sometimes we, we, we know God wants us to do something, and instead of actually doing it, we just kind of make up some kind of excuse to get out of it. But it could be that. We don't know. You know, exactly. It's, it's kind of unclear. Either way... The way that the text reads is that Moses is saying, I am heavy of tongue and slow of speech. You know, we don't know the exact you know, uh, impediment that Moses had. Maybe it was a, a stutter. Uh, maybe he, the way he talked wasn't, wasn't clear. He had a list. We don't, we don't know. And I think God doesn't want us to know. Because I think what God is trying to show us here is that God can use anyone. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Who is the one who made your mouth? It was me. Who can change your mouth? It's me. Now remember, in this day, there was a polytheistic culture, so everyone was kind of vying for which God is more powerful. And God is saying, listen, I'm, I'm the creator. I'm the one who made you. So let's just say that, that Moses had a speech impediment that he had from birth, that he was raised and he was not eloquent. He had a, a heaviness of tongue. Maybe he had a stutter. Let's just say that was the case. Well, guess what? The Lord gave him that. The Lord makes a man mute. The Lord makes a man blind. The Lord is sovereign over these things. And I think what this is showing us is that God delights to use weak people. Those who may not be the ones that we would, we would naturally choose. So several years ago, um, I won a chili cook-off, right? Uh, so out of all the cooking contests I've been in my life, um, one, I was victorious, number one. Uh, now, let's say you had my, my beautiful, tasty chili, but I served it to you in a kind of like a, a very um, bland, flimsy paper bowl. And like it's kind of leaking through the bottom, it's that bad, right? You really, this is, this is a weak, weak bowl. Then all of a sudden you taste it. <sighs> and you think that is the greatest chili I've ever had in my life, Right? Well, this is one of the ways I think God does for us, right? We are all kind of like that weak bowl, right? But what does that do? 
it shows that what's inside the bowl is what gets the glory. And guess what? We are weak. We are, we are j- j- treasures in jars of clay. And what, what's inside of us? The power of God is inside us. Why? So he gets the glory. So we're not boasting in our ability and our talent. No, we're boasting in God who is in us, the hope of, of glory. God will be with Moses and God will be with you. But what's he's trying to tell us? John Calvin said this. So this over-anxious caution for Moses is therefore deservedly condemned, although it may have been a mixture of virtue, because whatever difficult we encounter, hear this, this ought to be a sufficient encouragement to us, that as often as God chooses men as ministers, although they are in themselves good for nothing, he forms and prepares them for their work. Whatever you do, whatever God has called you, if God has called you to be a mother, if God has called you to be a teacher, if God has called you to be a worker, if God has called you to be whatever, if you feel that you are inadequate for the task that God has, has given you, read that last line. That as often as God chooses men and women for a specific task, although we and ourselves are good for nothing, he forms and prepares us for his work. We are his uh, workmanship who are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Beloved, be encouraged. We are weak. He is strong. God values the weak. Let me just make a note. God values the weak, but our culture doesn't. More and more, what are we, what are we seeing? We're seeing people um, having, if anyone has a deformity or everyone has, a, has an issue, that they should be cast aside. They should be destroyed. They should be put out of their, their misery. And we can't move away from the text that is the God of, of heaven and earth who, who has formed them in the mother's womb, who has made them to have whatever ailment they have. He formed us in our inward parts. There may be some of you here who struggle with self-image in terms of something in your character that you don't like, whether it be your hair, your height, or your heritage. It is not an accident. God made you. He took time to make you like he took time to make Moses. So the, the issue, I am weak, I can't serve you, we should ignore because God is with us. This next excuse is just simply, I won't. Look at the text. Verse 12, sorry, verse 13. But Moses said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. I just don't want to. Kind of all shows aside, I just, I just don't want to do this. Please send somebody else. You know, we, we, we've heard maybe something similar in the New Testament. Is there another way? In the New Testament, there's, there's another line. Not my will, but thy will be done. Here, Moses just says, I want my will. Send somebody else. Thank God that we have a redeemer better than, than Moses. What is the Lord's response here? Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that, the, that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his, and with his mouth, and will teach you about both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and you, he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as a God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. See, 
This is the first time, believe it or not, in the Bible where God's anger is directly directed at a person. Now, we know God has, has been angry in the past. We see that in, in his sending the, the flood to destroy the earth. We know that God has been, been, been angry with people. But here's the first time in Scripture where it says that the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses. Why do we think that? Well, it's interesting. If you look at your, your Bibles, look, notice how when the, 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 the text says, verse 10, for example, but Moses said to the Lord, all caps, right? That's the, the, the name Yahweh, the I am who I am. How does Moses respond? Oh, my Lord, lowercase, Adonai. He uses a different word. Again, back um, in, verse, in, in chapter, verse 11, the Lord said, Is it not I, the Lord? All caps, I am who I am. In verse 13, Oh my Lord, lowercase, please send somebody else. Moses does not understand who God is. And because he doesn't understand who God is, after God is graciously, graciously revealing himself to Moses again and again, the Lord's anger is kindled. Friends, God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him as he has revealed himself in his holy word. He says, I will be with you. And Moses doesn't see it or doesn't want to. Moses is kind of being like Pharaoh. His heart is is starting to be hardened. And even in this, even when the Lord is angry, he's still kind. He's still patient. Because what does he do? He already gave him a staff. Oh, by the way, I'm going to give you your brother. And your brother, he'll speak for you. Isn't that just like the Lord? (laughs) He's so patient and kind with us. Well, lastly, let us see the salvation of the Lord. The salvation of the Lord. Now, Moses has gotten all these signs. The Lord's anger is kindled. And we don't know if the Lord changed his tone. It's it's interesting in verse... um, in verse 10, Moses says, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Within the last hour that you've started talking to me, I haven't changed, right? And Moses still hasn't changed. He's still this person who's fearful and worried. Look at verse 18. Moses went back to, to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether, whether they are still alive. So he goes to Jethro and he says, I need to go back to Egypt. Why? Well, because the God of my father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me in a bush, showed me that he was the divine I am, and I'm going to deliver my people from from Egypt. He's given me the staff to do signs that people would believe in the words that I have gotten from God Almighty, and I will liberate the people of, 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 of Israel from the Egyptian slavery. Now, that's what he says. What does he say? I, need, I, I want to just see... afraid. He's afraid of what Jethro is going to say. I mean, can you relate to that? You know, that you want some kind of respectability with this world. Uh, I was 20 years old. I was leading a college ministry on on my campus, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And uh, I I remember uh, walking towards, it was Wednesday night, we were meeting at nine o'clock and I was walking to to the meeting and a friend stopped me and said, "Uh, hey, Dave, what are you doing? And I had a moment to, to say what I was gonna, where I was going. I had a moment to testify about the Lord. And I said, well, I'm actually just going to go meet a bunch of different athletes.
And immediately I felt conviction. Because what I was, in that moment, what I really cared about, hello, (laughs) what I really cared about was that person's opinion of me. I wanted to be respectable in the eyes of my peers, more than respected in the eyes of God. And I wonder how many times that happens to you. This coming Monday, you're going to go into work and someone says, how was your weekend? What did you do? And you're going to say, well, I, I went out to eat with my wife. I, I went to the park with my kids. How about you say, I heard a message about the glory of God and how there is salvation in no one but Christ and in Christ alone. Why don't you just bring up what is important in your life, the Lord God himself. And even here, we, we see God being gracious through someone who is a pagan, right? Jethro is... A, we don't know his religion. It was kind of mixed, maybe a little bit of Yahwehism, a little bit of something else. But even here, what, is, what does Jethro do? He says, go in peace. That would have been a hard conversation to have, right? Moses going to his father-in-law said, um, so I want to take your daughter and your grandchildren, and I want to go way over there, and you may never see him again. And what does Jethro say? Go in peace. It's almost like God telling Moses, hey, I got you, right? Because that's going to be a pretty scary conversation. I'm going to take your daughter and your grandchildren away, and he says, go in peace. I wonder, how would we respond to that? You know, as a, as a father, I'm learning more and more what it means to let your children go. You know, my, my children are 12, 10, and 7, and uh, the, the days are getting closer and closer when you're saying goodbye to them, when you're saying that they have a little bit more independence I know that some of you have gone through that. When they have left the home and gone to college, they have, have left and, and gotten married. And there's a part of you that wants to hold on to them, that you're not ready to let go. But I think we need to be like Jethro and do what? They, they were not mine in the first place. They belong to the Lord. And if the Lord wants them to, to go to the ends of the world, to, the, to, to preach the gospel, let them go. We need to trust God with our children. Because what God is sending Moses to do is a wonderful work. Look at verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses, this is the Lord speaking again to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt. Okay, (laughs) stop waiting around, Moses. It's time to go. Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. Now, that phrase is almost identical to a phrase in the New Testament. So in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, we, Matthew writes this. By the way, Matthew's gospel is masterful, showing that Jesus is the new Moses. He does it in, in, in chapter 2. He says, Now when they had departed, and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there till I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, let me read again verse 19 of Exodus 4. And the Lord said to Moses in the Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. And in verse 20 of Matthew um, chapter 2, The Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. What what, what Matthew is doing is saying, Jesus is the the new Moses. 
Jesus is the real deliverer. He's the one who's going to come and rescue you from your, from your bondage. The plan was always the Son to come. The Lord Jesus, the embodiment of true Israel, came to save Israel. Salvation of the Son, Israel, was always meant to be through the Son. Look what the text says in verse 21. It says, Sorry, Moses took his wife and his sons and had brought them on a donkey and went back to Israel, the land of Egypt. Sorry. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that you will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel, to my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. We see that Israel is God's son. And to save Israel's son, there had to be the sacrifice of another son. A son for a son. But notice what the text says here. The salvation in in, in Exodus is from moving from slavery or service to, to Pharaoh to slavery and service to God. That's what's happening here. It's not that when we become Christians, we we just are free. No, we're free to serve God. That's the whole goal, that we have new hearts and a new life to serve the one and true God. Now, this this language appears often in, in Exodus. So it says in verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Pharaoh, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, uh, I am not going to give you a theologically satisfying answer this morning. We are going to address this issue several times as it comes up in, in the text. But just know this, that God's main purpose is always his own glory. And God always acts according to his own glory. And sometimes we, we see that this God hardening someone's heart, and we think that, that, that we that something rubs us the wrong way about it. How could God do this? Well, just, I think the reason why we have anger is because we think Pharaoh deserves mercy. We think that Pharaoh deserves God's kindness and compassion and his, his mercy. We, we think that, that, you know, this picture that people are running towards God and God is just kind of batting them away. It's kind of, We're not, not you, not you, we'll take, we'll take you. Well, no, the, the thing is, is that every one of us does not deserve mercy. And we want Pharaoh to receive, to, to receive mercy because we want to receive mercy when we don't deserve it. We are all running away from God. We are running on our own hellbound race as we sung already. And God is doing what? He's snatching us and bringing us back. We are running in the opposite direction. Pharaoh does not deserve God's mercy. And yet God gives mercy to whom he gives mercy and grace to whom he gives grace. God's goal is higher than our goal. Look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 24 through 27. A very confusing passage. It says, The lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death, put Moses to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are the bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that he said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, there's a lot of things I could say here. Uh, to explain this, but let me just tell you what I think this this means. Skip to the, the, the meaning of it. I think that God is okay with using Moses' weakness of speech. 
What God is not okay is using Moses' weakness of sin. God uses the weakness of Moses' speech, but God cannot use the weaknesses of Moses' sin. He's going to shed the blood of his own son to, to bring him salvation. Moses is not living according to the covenant that God made with Israel, that you should be circumcised and your children should be circumcised. Listen to what Kevin DeYoung says. I think he says it rightly here. He says, sometimes we talk about weakness in a sloppy way. It's very biblical that God uses weakness. He overcomes weakness. He is strong in weakness. But the weakness that God is happy to use is the weakness of ability, of natural skill, of our pedigree, of our broken history or our tarnished past. It is not because the weakness of sin, actively, currently, presently. Let us not talk carelessly about how God loves to use weakness, so I'll just keep on sinning, drinking, doing the porn, and treating my wife like a big oaf. I'll keep doing those things, you know. God likes to deal with my weaknesses. Well, he loves to save us from sin. He loves to forgive us sin. He loves to let us put the sin in the past so we can serve him freely. But he doesn't just chalk it up to weakness. God calls us, but calling is not an excuse to be compromised. Moses had a mission to do, but he also had a character to embody. Those of you who are aspiring preachers and teachers, one of the dangers in the gospel centrality movement is that we are only emphasizing the forgiveness that we have in Christ, that we are justified, made right by him in the cross of Christ. But the way the Bible speaks is that we are justified in the cross of Christ so that we can live for the cross of Christ in holiness and righteousness, right? The goal of our life is not to serve sin, but to serve God, that we are now free to serve God. Why? Because our hearts have been changed. We can't be satisfied to live in sin. Friends, if you are living in sin today, repent. Turn from it. It's not worth it. God wants to use you for his glory. God wants to use you to do mighty things in his name, but he will not use you if you are living in sin. Repent. Clean the inside of your, of your temple so that he will be fruitful for every good work we see here is Moses is not walking with the Lord. So God saves him with the shedding of his own son's blood. Friend, we were not walking with the Lord when he saved us from the shedding with the blood of his son. A son for a son, that was always the plan. After Israel is freed from Egypt, Israel still lives like they don't know the Lord. They turn in rebellion against God. They didn't only see their need uh, of God. They saw God's powerful work, but didn't really change them. Didn't have an experience in their own heart. So in God's kindness, he sent the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Israel. Where Israel failed, Jesus obeyed. And it was through his shed blood on the cross that brought us salvation. Not only to, to save us from sin, but to serve him. Phil Riken, pastor, says, the work of Christ is to bring the slaves of sin into the liberty of sonship. We were all once slaves to sin, but through Christ we have been made sons of righteousness. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, he himself bore, his sins in his, bore our sins in his body uh, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. Friends, Moses was God's instrument to bring about deliverance for Israel. Jesus 
was God's instrument to, to deliver us from our slavery and, and sin. The key question for us is how will we respond to the shed blood of the Son? Notice how this text ends. How did, how did the Israel, the elders, respond? The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told, all the word, told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And what? The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Friends, I hope that when you hear of what the Lord has done for us in Christ, that you will not be like Pharaoh and reject it, that you will not even be like Moses who begrudgingly followed. I pray you'll be like these elders. For when they heard the word of the Lord, when they saw the signs, they believed and they worshiped. They worship the one true God, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the great I am, their sovereign Lord. Friends, hear the word of God. Believe and worship. Father, we pray as the people of God here that when we hear the word of God, we would believe and worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh,